you know, this research may actually, for the first time in a really long time, actually make a difference in our lives as type 1 and type 2 diabetics. It is really hard to live with, but I know that staying positive makes a huge difference. And I am really excited about my guest tonight. You guys are not going to believe the amazing thing that she is training dogs to do for diabetics. This could change everything for a lot of us. Welcome to the Thriving Diabetics Podcast with your host, Dr. Matthew Herdert. Hey again, everybody. It's Dr. Matthew here, founder of thrivingdiabetics.com and general crusader for freedom from diabetes. Fresh off a sneezing fit. I don't know. I was going to start recording about a half hour ago, and for some reason I just started sneezing and sneezing, so I promise if I sneeze I will edit it out, but if you're wondering why I sound stuffy and congested, that would be the reason. So welcome back to the podcast. It's uh, three podcast week, apparently. Hope you guys are able to keep up. I know I'm barely keeping up. That's not true. We've had a long weekend here in the United States because this is our Thanksgiving weekend. So most people take four days off. The Thanksgiving always falls on the third Thursday of November. So, you know, we get uh, Thursday. Some people work on Friday. Unfortunately, people in retail do because it's our crazy sales day here getting ready for Christmas. But had a long weekend, which has made it uh, easy for me to take care of getting up some Christmas decorations at my practice in my house and some nice time with my kids and my wife and uh, put a little bit more time into the podcast here. So... Hope you guys are enjoying your weekend, whether or not you got a long one. You know, Thanksgiving has a long and complicated history in the United States. I know other, some other nations have some sort of day that is a recognition of gratitude or history. I know um, uh, Canada has one that's in October. I don't really know what the focus of that holiday is. My understanding, and I haven't done research because it's honestly that not that Im- uh, much that's not that important to me what the history of Thanksgiving is. My understanding is that Thanksgiving in the United States started as a day of recognition for soldiers who had given their lives in one form or another to fight for the United States of America. Of course, we also have Veterans Day here and Memorial Day. So, I don't really know when Memorial Day started. I have a brain cell that that started after World War II at some point. The long and the short is, at some point uh, in time there, I think the focus of Thanksgiving turned away from recognizing those soldiers, if in fact that is an accurate thing that I picked up there. You know, I could have taken five minutes to look on Wikipedia before I started the podcast, right? <laughs> and I didn't, so you guys are probably all double-checking me right now. In any event, I was born in 1970. When I was growing up, Thanksgiving was really a way to acknowledge and recognize the founding of the United States. You know, lots of uh, cartoons and pretty pictures of pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock and having a nice meal of, you know, uh, gratitude for the fall harvest with the Native Americans. And throughout the course of my life... America has been maturing emotionally in some ways, and part of that has been a recognition that, you know, Native Americans were not treated so well when Europeans came over and became Americans, and, you know, that they suffered to one degree or another a genocide, depending on which tribe you're talking about, some of that disease-based, some of it militaristic. But it's something that has, at least from my adult life, has been kind of in my awareness that this is a holiday that 
needs to be approached thoughtfully, at least for me and for my family. You know, it's something we approach thoughtfully and with thought towards and recognition of some of the unfortunate things that happened as we colonized this country. So the way my family and I focus on it is really, it's a, it's a day of gratitude. The same way that Valentine's Day, which I also did not wiki, and I don't know if that's international, although I seem to recall being in um, France or England at one point around that time you're traveling and seeing Valentine's Day stuff in the windows. I'm sure Hallmark and others have done their work to <laughs> spread the gospel of um, spending money at Valentine's Day worldwide. But <clears throat> Valentine's Day in our family is not so much about romantic love, but it's a recognition of what a beautiful thing loving is between people, what a healing force it is, how it brings us together as humans from all sorts of different cultures. It's really a unifying force. And so we recognize that on Valentine's Day and on Thanksgiving here, we really focus on gratitude for all the blessings and abundance and and gifts that we've been given. So I want to talk a little bit about gratitude because it's something that I've I've touched on over the last year in the podcast, but that I've never spoken directly about at length. And in my experience, I think it's a pretty fundamental concept in any work that you're doing on yourself, any self-help or self-mastery or 12-step or therapy or managing trauma. You know, this focus on gratitude is something that is really powerful and beneficial for most people. It's still one that many people have experienced, but I think many people approach as a resource or as a a tool, something to intentfully and intentionally use to better their lives. And gratitude is an easy thing to make a very powerful tool out of. Now, I know a lot of people also grew up in families where, you know, um, expressing emotion is not acceptable or it's something that one does, you know, on one's own time versus around other people. I mean, still to this day, I have people come into my practice and, you know, they're sharing about something that's happened in their life and they, they start crying and they apologize for crying, for having emotion. I always just say, you know, that you look, it's part of it's part of life. It's part of being you know, a soul in a meat suit, (laughs) or if you don't believe in souls, it's part of being a personality in a meat suit is that we have emotions. And, you know, when you lose loved ones, or you lose a pet, or something awful happens, it's normal to cry like that. That's okay. And people experience so much discomfort and shame around that. So I know that intense emotional experiences are something that a lot of us feel awkward to express, certainly uh, around other people. It's not necessarily the case so much as positive emotional experiences like loving or, um, you know, caring or service or gratitude. But for some people, that's still difficult. But it's important to realize that gratitude is really an antidote to disappointment and to hurt and to anger and to resentment, a lot of those negative emotions. It's, It's not just... You know, I've seen it written and said in poetry and in art that, you know, fear and love are sort of opposite ends of the spectrum. And you can certainly pull yourself out of fear by focusing on love. But if you're experiencing hurt or resentment or envy or jealousy, 
gratitude is quite literally an antidote. It's a way to correct those feelings, not not just change your state of mind or your state of being or your state of heart, not just just to not to just change your focus, but to actually correct your perception about what's going on in your life, the circumstances of your life. It's a way to reframe or recontextualize your issues as blessings. Now, this can be a tricky thing. And, you know, over the years coaching people, this comes up a lot of time, has come up a lot of times that people feel like they're somehow trying to trick themselves to feel differently. You know, they're by, by, okay, I'm upset about this. You're, you're suggesting that I focus on gratitude either for this very thing or at least other things that will shift my mental, emotional state in a positive direction. That's great. But I feel like you're asking me to kind of lie to myself or to trick myself. And that it's not that that's an illegitimate argument or that it's untrue, but when you get down to the basics of it, if you're experiencing negative emotions about something in your life, you on some level have made a decision to feel negatively about that circumstance. You you made up your mind at some point that there was something bad or hurtful or awful in that. And I'm not trying to minimize anybody's pain, of course, losing loved ones or, you know, losing a limb. Uh, those, those are objectively horrible things to have happen. Yet for any circumstance like that, you can find someone out there who has made a way to, found a way to turn that experience into something positively focused. So, gosh, and I should have looked up his name because I was thinking about this earlier that I should bring him up. There's a guy who I think was a runner. I think he was a, I don't know that he was an Olympian, but I think he was a, a marathoner, ultra marathoner who lost one of his legs. And now every Halloween, he does a Halloween costume that directly references and plays upon only having one leg. So, a few years ago, he dressed up as a um, a lawn a flamingo lawn ornament with one leg. He dressed up as the um, leg lamp from Christmas Story a few years ago. This year, he dressed as a uh, International House of Pancakes sign, an IHOP sign, and he wore a box on his torso and head that had the IHOP logo on it. And his leg, his his only remaining leg was the blue pole. So here's a guy who's gone through something that just sucks, right? That's horrible. And yet he's found a way to turn his focus away from the misery and the disadvantage and to try and have fun and be playful and hopeful and inspirational about that. So in almost every circumstance, you can find you know, okay, uh, maybe if a sibling was murdered, you can't find somebody or if or if you've experienced sexual um, violence, that, those aren't necessarily things that you can, you know, be playful about. But there are people who've been through experiences like that who have turned it into, you know, a nonprofit organization to try and increase awareness about those things or to, um, you know, bring um, more healing techniques into prisons to help people, um, acculturate better when they come out. Not being 100% clear about this, but I didn't write out notes for myself about it. But I think you guys are getting the gist here. It's like really anything that's gone on 
in your life, you can find somebody who's gone through that and has found a way to heal from it, get free of it, incorporate it into their lives in a positive way to to choose a positive thought process around that. And I'm not saying that you need to do that or that you should do that. However, I think that there is great power and freedom that comes from acknowledging that there is potential there for that. I mean, gratitude puts me in a state of joy and loving for the state of my mind, the experiences I've had, and the ones I choose each day, and for the people and the things that I have around me. Human nature is to be distracted by the illusion of incompleteness or loss or lack or pain or suffering, yet our nature, I would go so far as to say our spiritual nature, although I haven't talked a lot about spirituality or religion on the podcast this last year, I think it's our our nature to realize the reality that these are limiting perspectives on our experience. And I think it's beautiful that we hold both these natures. And the thing about a gratitude focus is you can you can choose you can often choose to live in the latter in the positive interpretation. There there is no simpler or more effective solution for dealing with upset or a feeling of being stuck than shifting into gratitude. And ultimately, it's an awareness tool. I mean, for me, I, you know, I mentioned to you guys, if you guys listened to the last podcast, I talked about gum as being one of the things to help you get through holiday parties. Once you're done with your first plate of food, you just put a piece of gum in your mouth. That way you won't start to eat unconsciously. It forces you to be present and aware before you put anything in your mouth. It just wakes you up a little bit. It gives you that extra bump to keep you present and tuned into what's going on. That It's a mindfulness resource. And gratitude is really that as well. So I, <clears throat> as one example, whenever I sit down to eat at meals, I wouldn't say if I have like, you know, a little snack after working out or something, I, I don't necessarily do this, but certainly with meals, when I sit down, one of the first things I do is in a, I guess what looks from the outside to most people as as a prayer process what I do is I just go inside and I kind of close I close my tent my external intention down my external attention down I go inside and I just focus on the fact that okay I'm sitting down to eat now I express gratitude for the food and the drink that I have and the fact that you know I know what is healthy for me and that I'm choosing something healthy that I have the money to eat you know that I have the money to eat well and that that tunes me into the way I'm eating and what I'm eating in a whole different way. And I find that the times when I overeat a little bit and I don't feel comfortable afterwards, if I reflect back, it's like, oh, right, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do my little gratitude prayer or whatever you want to call it process there at the beginning of my meal. Just I don't pl- I'm not plugged into what's going on in the same way. I think one of the most commonly referenced things in the world of self-mastery is a gratitude journal, you know, something that you write in um, I've usually heard it suggested as something to do to end your day with, where you write down all the things you're grateful for that day. I think it certainly sets a nice stage for your dreams, right? To go to bed with all that stuff in your head. Um, one thing that my wife and I do uh, almost every night is we do a, well, I guess it's a, it is a gratitude process, although the, the wording is a little different. Um, what we'll do is we, and it came from a great book, if you guys are interested, by um, Gay and Kathleen Hendricks. They're a husband and wife. 
who have been doing couples counseling for, I don't know, probably 30 years now. I mean, they're, I think they're kind of the top names in that world. They wrote an amazing book called Conscious Loving, and there are a bunch of little um, uh, exercises in the back to do with your loved one. And one of them was just to, every night before going to bed, share three things with the other person that you appreciate about them. So every night she shares three things with me that she appreciates about me. I share with her three things I appreciate about her. It's a nice way to kind of review the day and touch in and connect with each other. So there are lots of different ways to tap in to this gratitude. In my mind, it is right up there with water and with sleep and with healthy food and exercise. It brings your attention to the the fact that regardless of the experiences that you're having, there's a way to relate to them with gratitude, or at least very to not focus on the horror and the disappointment and the pain, but to turn our attention to the opportunity in them. So I was saying before, it it I understand that it can feel like talking yourself into something. And I think if you hold that attitude, it makes it a lot harder to work with the gratitude process. But the reality is, is that we are kind of, again, on some level, making up our mind about what happened and what the meaning of it was, what, what was really going on in that instance. You know, we, we're making a decision about the meaning behind it, so you can make a decision that the meaning was, let me just give you an example. So I'm not sure I've ever shared this on the podcast before because frankly, it makes me sound a little crazy. But I, in addition to being diagnosed with diabetes at four and growing up with that um, monkey on my back, if you want to call it that, although I'm very grateful as I I know I've said before to have not been diagnosed as a teenager and have to go back and to have to learn how to re-eat. You know, I never had to give up candy bars or cereal or anything like that. <clears throat> Although I certainly had my struggles with eating poorly as a teenager. So I grew up not only with this on my back, but um, with a mother who was dealing with a lot of mental illness. It was it was just a really difficult We, You know, she would buy a fixer-upper um, so we could fix the house up and flip it to make some money and we like it just it took for it would take like five or six years to get out of each house and we wouldn't make that much money and <clears throat> so there was always work to be done around the house so I never got to go play with friends or things I mean I did on the afternoons on weekdays sometimes because um, she was at work but I didn't you know I didn't go to parties in high school and I didn't go on school field trips and I just didn't get to do a lot of that social stuff and was dealing with somebody at home who was very unstable and was very unbalanced and was tricky to interact with for me. Uh, I always kind of felt on on, on edge. And there was a period of time where a lot of different things came together um, as, as a probably my early teens. So my hormones were a, little, were a little bit off. You know, I was probably certifiably insane just based on a pu- puberty level and what was going on there. <clears throat> Plus my blood sugar was not well managed. So my sugars were all over the place, which was affecting, affecting my brain and the way my brain worked. And I had all this kind of horrible stuff going on around me in my world. And 
the the one of my common mantras was like, oh, you must be a horrible person and, and God, if there is one, is punishing you. Like that that must be part of what was going on here. And there was a time where I was actually convinced that I was probably the son of the devil if, again, if there was such a thing. And I really, in my heart of hearts, believed that. And uh, I would have weird little experiences. I remember a couple times where I was out on our back patio um, sweeping up leaves or raking leaves and the wind would stir up and kind of knock my pile around. And I think, okay, well, if I really am the son of the devil, then I can stop the breeze right now. And the breeze would stop. And I'd say, oh, see, if, see if I am, I can make it be windy again in the wind. So it was complete coincidence, of course, but I just had this thing really wired in my head. So for, for years, I, I was of the idea, the way I was relating to my diabetes was that it was a punishment and it was a sign of how inherently evil and bad that I was. And part of the way that that took shape in my head was because I was the son of the devil, right? I was being punished inherently. You know, fast forward many years later where I've had kind of an awakening around my diabetes and started to take care of it and have started to recover from the complications that were starting to happen for me in my early 20s. I've done, you know, I've gone through 12-step program. I've done a lot of independent reading on um, health and wellness and self-help and self-mastery stuff and worked a lot of tools and processes very diligently for myself. And um, the way that I've said it to people for years when it comes up in conversation is that I, I can't I've never had anybody descend from the heavens or dis- descend in a spaceship and give me the opportunity to go back and change anything in my life. So I can't say it a hundred with 100% confidence, but I can say with 99.5% confidence that if I was given the opportunity to go back to 1974 and unhave diabetes, that I would choose not to do that because it has been a very key part of who I have become in the world. And I don't mean like, you know, doing a podcast. I mean, I think the compassion that I have for other people and understanding their suffering and their struggle with the circumstances of life, I think that largely comes from growing up with diabetes. I think the level of health that I've achieved, you know, particularly looking at other members of my family who are not diabetic and the way they take care of themselves and how heavy they are, I think I'm actually much healthier because of diabetes and having to focus on my health. So I'm able to see great blessings in it. Now, I won't tell you that if um, Angel, if there is such a thing, or an alien, if there's such a thing, suddenly descended right now and gave me the opportunity to cure my diabetes right here on the spot, that I wouldn't take that. I think I would take that in a heartbeat. But I really, in all honesty, don't think I would ever go back in time and change that experience because I like who I am and I think key to that is diabetes. So, you know, here's, um, I mean, particularly the way I was diagnosed, in case you guys have never heard it, my, my parents were told, your son has diabetes and no, uh, type 1 diabetes, juvenile diabetes, they called it back then. And no matter how carefully he, you guys manage it, he will be blind by 16, he will be on dialysis by 18, he will lose his hands and feet by 20, and he'll be dead by 22. That's what my parents were told about their beautiful little curly-haired four-year-old kid, which now that I have kids of my own that age, I, I can't even quite wrap my head around what that experience must have been like. I think anybody in my family would have given their arm, if not their life, to spare me 
of that horrible thing, right? But the horror was really in the interpretation. It was in the story that was attached to that event. I mean, even despite the fact I was diagnosed in an era where we didn't have blood testing, we had urine testing. So you could figure out what your blood sugar had been over the last two or three hours, however long that urine had been sitting collecting in your bladder, whatever the average was, but you had no idea what it was right now. There was no like responding instantaneously to your blood glucose the way you can now. They didn't have food labels back then. So my parents didn't know, you know, we had like a book where it's like, okay, well, one slice of bread that's about yay big is is one carbohydrate exchange. I mean, it was all estimates and guesswork. And there's still some of that now, of course, but you guys get what I'm saying. Despite that that was sort of the challenging context in which I was diagnosed, I'm I'm very I'm extraordinarily healthy for somebody who's been diabetic 41 years and started having horrible complications 20 20 years ago. I changed my attitude and my relationship to the condition. I stopped relating to it as this horrible thing that had happened to me and started relating to it just as a circumstance that had happened in my life. It was just a situation and I had a choice about how I wanted to relate to that. I could either be angry and resentful at it and towards it and manage my diabetes from that place of rage and fury and this isn't fair, or I could realize that it wasn't personal. It was just a situation and deal with it like any other situation. Like, oh, my my shoe is untied. I can either be pissed off and hateful about that, or I can just tie my shoe and move on. So that that was the intermediary step. And now, you know, I look at it as a great opportunity in my life. It has been a great educator for me. So I am grateful for, maybe not for the diabetes itself, but I'm grateful for the life experiences that I've had that have stemmed from that diabetes, from the opportunities that it's given me about how to view life and learn. I mean, honestly, looking back through the course of my life, had I not been diabetic, I don't know that I would have learned any of this stuff about myself that I've learned. And it's been a really enjoyable ride for me. You know, obviously, I'm not so in love with it that I wouldn't give it up today or tomorrow if that opportunity were presented to me. And I think that's changed a little bit because I have kids now. So it's not really just about me anymore and how I live life and exit the world. It's about the people around me and how what they have to watch have happened to me. So I didn't talk myself into that. What I did was talk myself out of it being a horrible sentence or a punishment. I talked myself out of being attached to the idea that it was crappy and that it was unfair. I talked myself out of the idea that I should be responding to it mentally and emotionally to show it who is boss. I talked myself out of the idea that the way to beat diabetes was to eat whatever I wanted to eat whenever I wanted to eat it, to live however I wanted to live. I talked myself out of the idea that it was bad or that it was horrible. And I allowed myself enough space to start to just relate to it as just a situation and a circumstance. And after enough time doing that, And seeing that there really was a lot of freedom in that, I started turning my attention towards the things to be grateful for, like the fact that I have extra encouragement to exercise. I have extra encouragement to eat really healthfully. I have extra encouragement not to eat carbohydrates, which are bad for everybody, at least, you know, outside of moderation. I have, you know, I've learned about 
how to master myself mentally and emotionally and spiritually. I've learned about compassion and caretaking and trying to support people. So there have been tremendous blessings that I have in my life because of diabetes. So it's really a question about what you want to choose. Do you want to choose to be miserable or do you want to choose to be peaceful? Do you want to choose to be resentful and grounded in the it's not fair? Or do you want to be grounded in the, oh, look, here's an opportunity to take a little bit better care of myself or to be able to set a good example for people around me. It's really a choice about where you want to put your attitude. And don't get me wrong, there'll be days when you take back that choice and you want to be pissed off about it that day or or you want to dwell in how unfair it is that day. And that's fine. Do that if you want to do that. For me, it is not the easier, softer way to go to that place. And if I feel myself starting to go in that direction, you know, I can get stuck there for days or weeks. So I just don't let myself go there. You know, I acknowledge the anger. I acknowledge the unfairness. I acknowledge the hurt and the upset, but I choose not to stay in that space. I choose to turn my attention towards the gratitude. And sometimes I can't get myself out of that space by being grateful for diabetes. Sometimes I have to be grateful about you know, the work that I get to do or the fact that I can pay my bills or, you know, my beautiful kids and how much fun I have with them or that I've got a healthy body that I can put Christmas lights up outside with, you know, whatever that is. And on my best days, I can really look towards the blessing that diabetes has been in my life and in the life of those people who are really close to me and are open to learning from it too. As I've often said to my coaching clients over the years, very few people have epiphanies laying in a hammock drinking a beer. You know, it's it's when the shit hits the fan, when you're up against the wall, that's that's the time when you really figure out who you are and what you're made of. What you can bring to the table. You learn about your grit, you learn about your strength and your power and your resolve and your hope. And I know everybody out there has it. I also know not everybody has good examples around them, which is one of the reasons I do the podcast. You know, hopefully people can take some inspiration for that because not everybody has parents and friends and, you know, relatives, extended family and teachers like I had who constantly encouraged and inspired me and supported me in finding better ways and in ways to actualize myself and meet my full potential and to try and go out there in the world and be of service. I know not everybody has that kind of a family structure or, you know, lives in a place in the country where people think like this or works in a job where anybody is pleasant or hopeful or likes going to work. I I mean, I get that reality. But I know everybody has that potential within them. And in part, I know it because over the years, Working with people as a coach, there there have been so many people who've walked into my program who are in such a negative, resentful space, people who were forced to start the program by a spouse, people who just didn't want to be there. And I, I you know, I was like, this person is this person's gonna bail after a couple of weeks. This person is not gonna make any changes. And time and time and time and time again, I've been proved proven wrong. Time and time again, I've seen people call themselves forward and make one little change 
that then facilitated another change that facilitated another change, each of them making them feel better, each of them giving them self-confidence, each of them giving them hope. And hope is a really powerful thing. Whether or not you've got gratitude about it, you know, hope, hope is a game changer. Self-trust is a game changer. Feeling better in your body and realizing that you can make healthy choices for yourself is a game changer. So whether or not you've got Thanksgiving, wherever you are in the world, I encourage you to put a little time and thought into gratitude this week or through the holiday season. There are lots of great um, books out there on gratitude. A couple of the ones I've really enjoyed, there's a book by M.J. Ryan called Attitudes of Gratitude. Um, There's, uh, yeah, there's one called Living Life as a Thank You. Um, it's by Salmons, and I don't remember the other woman's name, but two women. Living Life is a Thank You. I'm, I'd be surprised if there's another book out there with the same name. I think that's probably... And actually, one of my favorites um, is not directly about gratitude, but it really is about gratitude. It's by Marianne Williamson, and it's called um, The Gift of Change. And it's essentially a treatise on gratitude, even though it's not in the title and not her direct, you know, intention there. And it did take me a little while, you know, I had respected Miriam Williamson for years based on quotes of hers that I've read and talks I heard her, her give. That was the first book of hers I ever tried to read, and I was surprised at how hard it was for me to get into her writing style. But um, I kind of gripped my teeth and read my way through the book the first time. And now I've read it two or three times and I just, I really love that. I really love that book. So, um, good places to start. And, uh, in any event, I hope you guys have a beautiful week moving in. I know most or much of the world is now moving towards, uh, the Christmas holiday. So as we move forward here, just remember there's a lot of financial pressure. There's a lot of time pressure. Things get weird at, at most people's places of employment, you know, nobody's really doing any work. So your routine goes away a little bit. There are all these holiday parties, which are centered around eating and, you know, concerns about getting people the right gifts. And, um, you know, just take care of yourself on a daily basis. Like I said, you know, food, water, (laughs) you know, deep breathing, gratitude, um, sleep, healthy food and exercise. And, um, Just remember, you have a choice about how you're relating to the things going on around you, and you've got a lot of support out there. So um, go get yourself a book on gratitude and read that through the holidays, and let that be your holiday. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in this week and putting up with my stuffy, sneeze-ridden head. You can follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash freedomfromdiabetes, on Twitter, at freediabetics. And think, who do you know with diabetes who needs support? Please make sure you share the podcast with them too. We'll talk to you again this time next week with another podcast. In the meantime, go out there, live the juice out of life, the things that you love, the people that make you happy. Go play a little bit amidst the holiday preparations and thrive. Thrive.